Good morning. My name is Charity. I'm one of the deacons here, and I'm going to be reading today's passage from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. It is good to see all of you, and uh, it is especially good to see David and Kathleen Beck. You give them a hand, everybody. Back from Nigeria. If you have not had a chance yet to welcome them back, please be sure to do so uh, after, after the service. If you're new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm, I'm one of the pastors uh, here. And um, to bring you up to speed, what we normally do as a church is, is we have various series, usually uh, based on books of the Bible. Uh, we just finished an Advent series for Christmas. And one of the things that we do between those kinds of series is, is have what we call a church life series, where, where we pick a topic, subject, an issue that, that the elders and I believe is timely uh, for our church. Um, one of the things that we've been talking about is this idea of spiritual warfare, right? This Church Life series uh, is called Prepare for Spiritual Battle. Now, here's the thing. Most Christians and most churches don't really talk about this whole idea of spiritual battles because it makes you sound like weird or superstitious or something, C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, we make one of two mistakes when it comes to spiritual battles. One is we ignore it, dismiss it, um, we don't take it very seriously, uh, maybe we don't think about it, or, or we treat the devil as some, you know, little mischievous character in a red suit with a pitchfork, um, and we just don't take it seriously at all. The other mistake is we get a glimpse for how evil the evil one is. And we're terrified. Guess what? Either perspective you have, you have been disengaged from the battle. Either from fear or not taking it very seriously at all. Now this series is kind of a sobering series, I think. Not a whole lot of jokes in this one. Um, but I think it's important for us to get serious 
about this topic. From cover to cover in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout the scriptures you see spiritual battles. It is ongoing. So we've got to talk about it. Because as we pointed out last week, you are in a spiritual battle right now, whether you think so or not, whether you realize it or not. Some of you don't know that you're in a spiritual battle, and you are in a very dangerous position right now. Some of you know you're in a spiritual battle. It's been difficult, and it's been painful, and maybe you're filled with sorrow or hopelessness. So what do we do? Well, we're going we're gonna to address that. We're, gonna, we're spending a few weeks talking about that. We talk a little bit about that every message, but we just wanted to get pointed with it. You know, our little church, um, you know, as I said, we're always in a spiritual battle, you know, wherever you go or whatever church you go to. And our church is no exception. And it feels like lately, though, as the elders and I have been talking, that it has been especially focused or intense in our little church lately. And that's why we're talking about it. I tell you every week, I told you this last week, every week at the end of the service, I tell you that I love you. And that's not just something nice that I say to be nice. I love you, and you guys have expressed a lot of love toward me through good times and tough times, and I'm so grateful for my church family. And as a church family, we need to address this issue of spiritual battles. And I want you to take it seriously. As we go through this, I want you to examine your own heart, examine your own life, and not just think that it's other people who are attacking you. I mean, I mean it's everywhere. Evil wants to destroy you. Evil wants to destroy you, your children, your relationship with God, your church, and your mission. We pointed out last week that the most obvious way is through suffering, through, through health problems or depression or anxiety or unemployment or tragedy or, or death. This thief only comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is what he's up to. He does it obvious ways and subtle ways. And the subtle way is just as horrible as the obvious way. It is through sinister manipulation. He is a master manipulator. He wants you to be convinced or at least doubt that Jesus and who he is and what he has done for you is not enough, that he doesn't really love you. If he really loved you, then this wouldn't be happening in your life. Or he's not powerful. If he was powerful, then he could stop whatever it is that happened in my life. He wants you to doubt who Jesus is. He wants to make you discontent. He wants your heart hardened. He wants you embittered. He wants you apathetic. He wants you cynical. He wants you discouraged. He wants you helpless. He wants you hopeless. And on top of that, this is where it gets really sinister, and this is the part you're going to forget, the first thing you're going to forget when you're in the middle of it. The evil one wants you to blame others for it, other people in your life for it. 
whatever that's painful, whatever makes you embittered, whatever makes you fresh, whatever, he wants you to view other people as your enemy instead of you viewing the evil one as your enemy. He wants you to think it's your spouse's fault, your friend's fault, your neighbor's fault, your church's fault. And he wants you to justify your blame. Maybe even use scripture to help justify your blame. And he will plant seeds of disunity in your relationships, in your family, among your brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants to divide these relationships. His goal is to divide and conquer and make you feel righteous in the process. powerful, deceptive, manipulative. This is why we are desperate for the good news. The good news is that King Jesus lived for you and he died for you and he rose again to give you life. He's given you a life on mission to glorify God as you lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. And let me tell you something. You cannot engage in this mission. You cannot engage in spiritual battle on your own. You don't stand a chance. So God wants you to prepare, God wants to prepare you for this. And this is our main topic in our passage today. It's found in verse 10, and it says, Be strong in the Lord. There is no other way for you to be strong. You are only strong in the Lord. That's the title of our message. You are only strong in the Lord. That right there is your only hope. The only hope that you have. Now, to understand what it means to be strong in the Lord, we're going to ask three questions. And the first one is this. Why do we need the Lord's strength? And I'm going to give you three reasons. And the first one is this. We need the strength of the Lord because evil is real. We talked about that. Even, even non-Christians and, you know, non-Christian scientists and non-Christian philosophers will acknowledge that evil is real. There was a time where people said, no, it's not. It's not real. And they even thought, like I said last week, that evil would be totally gone by the 20th century and then, you know, all the wars and everything else is horrible. It continues to roll on. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Obviously, Paul means that we do not only wrestle against flesh and blood. He's saying that, that the evil that, that we see in flesh and blood people is the symptom of a deeper problem. And if we don't see that, we'll try to fight evil in a reactionary way and we'll make, we'll forget that the evil one is our enemy and we'll make other people our enemy. Now, the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, who said we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, he was the same guy who was arrested and jailed and beaten. Uh, there was an assassination attempt on his life, all done to him by flesh and blood human beings. But he says here that it goes deeper than that. The reason you need the Lord's strength is because evil is a supernatural power and you have no way of defeating it. You cannot use your own strength. It's not gonna work. And you'll, be a, you'll, you'll attempt in your own strength to overpower others or fix others in your own strength. 
I mean, this is why we're so baffled by all the problems in the world. I mean, all this, the shootings at schools and churches and synagogues, the child abuse, the starvation, the disease, the cutthroat politics, manipulative propaganda, opportunistic wars that shatter lives of countless people with immeasurable suffering. It's not what God had planned for his creation. Evil is all around you. It's in all humanity. It is beyond your control. And I'm telling you this morning, you have no way of dealing with it. Not on your own. You can't. You'll be tempted to, but you can't. But thank God for his word. Thank God for the scriptures to give you insight. The scriptures tell us that evil is, is both natural and supernatural. It's not just outside, it's also inside. Now, I know you might not agree, but you can't, if you don't agree, you can't just say, I don't believe that. That's not an answer. You have to give an answer for the evil in this world. Scripture gives us, speaks to us. We've, we've all seen somebody do something horrible that we never thought that they would do. Oh, he was such a nice guy. He was so pleasant to all the neighbors, whatever. And then the news comes out about something horrible that happened. Or maybe this person is, is you. I mean, you did something you never thought you'd ever do. You hurt somebody so incredibly close to you. You never thought that, that you were capable of, of that. And the evil hits you and you're shocked because you thought it was something that could be controlled. Scripture speaks to that. Evil is real. Second, evil is subtle. Uh, verse 12, it's, it's kind of vague. It says, for we wrestle against rulers, the authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. What is he talking about? Is, is, he, is he referring to demonic powers running loose in the world or, or, or real people and institutions around the world like social government, economic systems that are acting in a, in a demonic way? And the answer is yes, it's both. Evil is subtle. Genesis 3 says the serpent was the subtlest of all the animals. You know what? The, de the devil doesn't come to you and say, hey, I got an idea. Let's do some bad stuff. That's not what he does. The truth of the matter is, is that he, the devil is attracted to people and organizations that are doing good things or have potential to do good things. And the more effective you are or the more potential there is, the more evil forces are attracted to try to shut you down. The more evil will try to get you to maybe even work in evil ways. Maybe just not shut it down, but work in evil ways. The devil says, never, he never says, hey, I think you, how about this? You work so hard that you ruin your marriage and destroy your family. He doesn't say that. He says, you need to be successful so you can provide for your family. And then you destroy your family in the process, in the name of family. See how that works? Never says, hey, let's take advantage of the poor. And invest in projects that rip off, you know, the, the neighborhoods or displace people in the neighborhoods. The devil uh, uh, uses your desire for approval to keep you from uh, asking your boss or your, your city representatives the hard questions. The devil never says, hey, you know what? We need to spread the word. 
start rumors against that jerk so everyone turns against him. No, he says, you know what? He treated you unfairly, and you need to warn everybody else. The devil, devil never says, yell at your kids and shame them into obedience. No, he says, you need to speak the truth in love. And he'll take scripture and twist it to make you think you're doing the right thing. It's one of the ways that we justify our sinful behavior. Evil is subtle, and the devil uses good things for evil. Third, evil is close. You know, Paul's been using warfare language, and then he uses the word wrestle. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. It's an athletics word intended uh, instead of a military word. And so he's mixing metaphors here because evil is close. I mean, it's so easy for us to think in very simplistic terms that, that, that evil are the bad guys and black hats way over there, there you know, that we shoot missiles at or something over here that, that, that we fight with a gun. But listen, evil is so close to you that you don't even see it until it's got you by the throat. Evil is closer than you think. And the most devastating evil is not obvious to you. The evil that is most devastating is not obvious to you. And you know what? Maybe somebody's been telling you about it. Maybe your parents, a spouse, a friend, brother, sister in Christ. But when they bring it up, you get maybe defensive and angry at that person. Or why are you making such a big deal? Or you shift the blame. Well, if you know what they did to me, then you wouldn't be trying to Help me see the sin in my heart. Why don't we own it? The reason we don't own it is because we don't see it until it's choking us. We need to look at our own hearts and wrestle with it. And so, I, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to badger you to make you feel guilty or, or anything. I, 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 I'm... That's not what I'm trying to do here. Not at all. So if I come across that way, that's, that's not my intention. My intention is uh, for all of us, including me, to be willing to examine our own hearts. To see, maybe there is something in my heart that I've been justifying, even with scripture. But actually, there's pr some pride going on here or some insecurity that's going on here. You'll, you'll we'll only seek the solution if we know what the problem is. It's a loving diagnosis. Any loving doctor would tell you what's going on in your heart if you had a heart problem, right? You don't want him just to tell you it's all good. You want to know if something's wrong so something could be done about it. So please understand. Please understand my heart in, in this. We need the Lord's strength. Evil is real, it's subtle and close. And so our second question is, 
what is the Lord's strength? We know it's not just flesh and blood strength, right? It can't be. We usually default to that. But check this out. Look what Paul says. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So I'm going to try my best to be clear here, but it just might not click at first. So I want to encourage you to kind of maybe chew on this throughout the week. You will not be strong until you admit that you cannot be strong on your own. You will not be mighty until you admit that you cannot be mighty on your own. Who is the only mighty one? The Lord is the only mighty one. And when Paul uses the title Lord, he's talking specifically about King Jesus. We're talking about the strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is that? Well, Paul tells us in his letter to the Colossians that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities, triumphing over them by the cross. King Jesus wins by losing, by choosing to lose. Jesus defeats evil by dying a humiliating death on the cross. But then God raised him from the dead victorious to advance his kingdom. And this is the good news of Jesus. Paul is telling you to be strong in the gospel. Be strong in the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. He's not being naive here, but we often treat Paul and what he tells us as being naive. That's nice for church talk and everything, but in the real world, this is what got to be done. This is what I need to do. We don't trust the gospel. We start fighting people who are not really our enemies in our own strength, and all relationships blow up because we're not trusting the gospel. So what will it look like if you're strong in the gospel? What does life look like if you are strong in the gospel? Let me tell you something. It, it creates this unique combination of fruit of both humility and confidence. Most people who are confident, you wouldn't maybe describe them as humble. Most people are humble. Maybe you wouldn't describe them as, as, as confident. But the, the gospel produces a wonderful uh, mixture of both hum, humility and confidence. We're humble because we see that we were so helpless and hopeless in the battle with evil that it took nothing less than the death of God to save us. That gives us humility. But then you'll also be confident because you see that Jesus' resurrection means that Jesus won. Yes, the powers of evil are still waging a battle, but, but evil is doomed. It is doomed through Jesus' death and resurrection. And a day is coming when evil will finally be completely destroyed. No more pain, no more sorrow, only joy. Joy that is found in relationship with God. So practically speaking, how do we fight evil? We primarily fight it through prayer and gospel proclamation. Our default, I think, when evil, we're faced with evil is, is, it's like fight or flight. That's just it. Like we fight this person that we have decided is our enemy or we take off and avoid. A lot of times we think, we act as if, you know, the way that we fight 
this evil that, that comes at us through complaining or whatever it is. There's so many different things that we do. Paul says prayer and gospel proclamation. Paul says put on the armor and pray at all times in the spirit with all kinds of prayer and supplication. So to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication or prayer for all of the saints and also for me, he says, that, that, that my words may be given to me in, in, in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So you know what this means? This means that we battle against evil by talking to God about people and talking to people about God. That's how we do it. We battle against evil by talking to God about people, talking to people about God. We fight evil through humble, confident prayer and humble, confident proclamation of the gospel of grace. To be strong in the strength of the Lord is not flesh and blood power. It is not we are strong, we are good, you know, they are darkness. It's not in your own strength. It's not in physical power. It's not in military power. It's not in political pressure or vigilanteism. Christian strength is the way of the cross. This combination of, of weakness because of your courage, your courage in the gospel, because of your trust in the gospel, which is the power of God into salvation. You have nothing to prove. You don't have to thump your chest, try to prove to yourself or anybody else, you know, how bold you are for Jesus. If you trust the gospel, which is the power of God under salvation, you'll be humble and confident. So let's apply this to, to your real world situation here. Let me, let me pick three areas real quick, okay? Let's apply it to when you are criticized. Let's, let's apply it to, you know, whether you're witnessing or not. And let's apply it to suffering because you all suffer. Everybody suffers. When you are criticized, okay? Anybody here ever been criticized before? It's probably every single one of us. How many of you think that maybe, just maybe, you're going to get criticized again? Probably even within the next five minutes. When you're criticized, maybe you can think of somebody who criticizes you regularly or recently. If you're defensive, if you're discouraged, I have a loving diagnosis for you. You're not strong in, in the Lord. Wait, you don't care about my pain? I do. That's why I'm telling you this. I know it's painful. I, I, I'm not dismissing that. I know it's painful, which is why I want to tell you that your strength is found in the Lord. If your strength is in the Lord, you won't be defensive and discouraged. You'll be humble and confident. You'll humbly receive the criticism, evaluate the criticism, weigh out the criticism, try to find out what is true in the criticism, and then repent of whatever you can. Even if they're 99% wrong, you own the 1%. That is a heart that is humble and confident. You see what I'm saying? Normally, you know what, <laughs> here's how it normally happens. Somebody starts listing off, a, maybe they're not even doing it in love, whatever, that doesn't, we're not given that qualification. Um, somebody's listing a hundred things that you did wrong. And then maybe on item number 59, they say something that's not true, and that's what you latch on to. 
no, I didn't do that. That's, you're totally wrong. Totally ignoring everything else. That happens all the time. You can repent for whatever you can. Why? Because you're more sinful than you realize. If you, whatever anybody has against you, let me tell you something. So you can receive this better. Let me say it about myself. Somebody's like leveling a bunch of criticism towards me. And they have a thorough list. Maybe I give them a week to do it and they can type it all out and turn it in. Say, here's all of Matt's problems. The truth is, I'm far, more wor- I'm far worse than whatever they can dream up. Whoever's criticizing you, they don't know half of this stuff. Right? So you can repent of it, then you can advance with confidence because you know you're righteous in Christ. That's what gives you confidence. It does, the criticism doesn't destroy you then. And it doesn't have to destroy your relationship. That's, that's one. So next, okay, say so let's talk about, you know, maybe you have an opportunity to talk about Jesus and, and, and the gospel and what it means. If you go into assault mode in your witnessing, in your evangelism, and call it being bold for Jesus, I want to tell you something. You are not being strong in the Lord. It, you're just fronting. You're trying to Make yourself look courageous. Maybe you're in your own eyes or the eyes of your peers. Or maybe you really sincerely think that's, you know, what you're supposed to to do. But I've heard people say, oh, man, did you see that debate between that that atheist and that that other uh, other Christian? I mean, it was awesome. That, that, That dude, that Christian dude, absolutely destroyed that atheist. It was awesome. This is not your enemy. God didn't call you. God calls you to love the people who need him. And I'm telling you something. You know, there are people who argue, contend for the faith. They're called apologists, all right? They present arguments for why the scripture is true and good, and it's great. It's awesome. And they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll be inspired by a passage uh, that, that the Apostle Peter wrote. Always be ready to give a reason for the faith that lies within you. And they stop reading there. And I've seen people use that verse to justify disrespect and a lack of gentleness. If they would have kept reading... It says, always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that lies within you, but do this with gentleness and respect. What you say is important. It's got to be true. How you say it is important too. Don't let anybody ever try to convince you otherwise because it's not true and it's not biblical. Now, if you disagree with me, you might only be hearing, oh, so maybe you just need to water down the truth, sugarcoat it. That is evidence that you haven't thought about this very much. That's not what I'm saying. 
I, I have seen people engage in conflict with, with this desire to, to uh, you know, apply the gospel with gentleness and respect. I, I've seen people be grateful. Thank you. I didn't see that. I had a blind spot. And God softened their heart and they repented. God's kindness led them to repentance. Most of the time, well, we're told the gospel is offensive, but it doesn't need any help being offensive. And people justify being offensive by saying, well, the gospel is offensive. Well, you never give them a chance to be offended by the gospel because you beat it to it. This has got to be characteristic of our church, okay? Grace and truth. Speak the truth in love. Suffering. You're going to get clobbered with suffering. And usually you get angry at God or angry at yourself. It means you're not strong in the Lord. If you're strong in the Lord, you'll be humble and confident. You're not angry at yourself because you know the cross means God's not punishing you. Jesus died for your sin. God not, will not punish the same sin twice. And you're not angry with God because you know the cross is proof that God loves you. And so what is happening to you, even though you don't understand it right now, God redeems it. That's what he does. He's a God of redemption. I've told you this before, but it's important. All you got to do is look to the cross, the crucifixion of God the Son, being blamed for everything horrible that's ever done and ever will be done. It's the worst thing that ever happened in history, and yet it became the most beautiful thing that happened in history. And while he was being crucified, the, the, the disciples were confused. How could anything good come out of this? It's over. And you probably feel the same way as you're going through probably the worst time in your life. And you may not have the answers right now. You might not have the answers until you're with God in glory. But the cross is proof that God is a God of redemption. If he can take the worst thing, turn it into the best thing, he could do that in your situation. I don't know how. But he wants you to have hope in the resurrection that he is making all things that are wrong in the world right. That is the hope that you have. Okay, last. I went on a lot of tangents this morning. I'll hang in there. This is my last point. How can you have the Lord's strength? Paul says in verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. Now, I want you to point something out to you. He doesn't say you got to go get the armor or you got to go make your own armor. He says take it up, put it on. Why? Because you don't have to make it. You don't have to go get it. If you're a Christian, let me tell you something. You already have it. Okay? And he tells you to put it on. He's not telling you if you want the armor of God, get righteous, get peaceful, get good. He's not commanding you to make your own armor. It's God's armor, and he tells you to put on his armor, not go get it. So this means that it's not your righteousness that is your armor. It is, it's not a righteousness that you create. It's not your peacefulness or salvation or truthfulness or faith that you create. If you had to go into battle with your own righteousness against the forces that we were just talking about, you don't stand a chance. You're no match for that. God says, take up his army, armor, and you already have it. 
And when Paul mentions it, it's an, he's making reference to the Old Testament, Isaiah 11 and, and Isaiah 59, where the armor is given to the Messiah to accomplish salvation for his people. And this is Jesus' armor of his perfect life, the armor he wore when he defeated evil through the cross and resurrection. But now in Ephesians 6, um, it goes beyond the Old Testament. Jesus' armor is now given to you. You've been given the invincible armor of Jesus' perfect life. You have been given the armor of Jesus' righteousness, of Jesus' truthfulness, of Jesus' peace, of Jesus' faith, of Jesus' salvation. You already have it. And Paul tells you to trust it. Resist doing battle in the flesh, in, the, in your own strength. You don't have to prove anything. Jesus already proved it. You don't have to prove anything to yourself or anybody else. Jesus already proved that he's powerful and that he's the one who can take everything wrong in the world and right. You don't have to. You can trust it. So what does it mean you already have it? Well, if you're a Christian, you know that you already have forgiveness because Jesus died for you. But very few know that you already have the armor of Jesus' perfect life, that, that he lived for you. You're clothed in his righteousness, his armor. Most Christians believe they have to do it themselves. Most people that believe Jesus cleansed them through sin and death, but now you have to put on your own righteousness. That's not what the Bible says. It teaches that he not only cleansed you of sin, but if you believe in him, he gave you his armor. So take it up and put it on. And how do we do that? by remembering who you are in Jesus. The world will tell you that what you do determines who you are. You do this, oh, that means mean that you're that. Scripture says who you are determines what you do. Okay? The only way to stand against evil is in Jesus' armor. Otherwise, you're done. Trust the God. Oh, so when criticism comes at you, you don't have to become defensive and discouraged because success is not your armor. You take up the armor of God by reminding yourself that is not my armor, Jesus is, and then you can respond with criticism, with humility and confidence. When suffering clobbers you, you don't have to be frustrated or fearful. I know that it, you will be, uh, but we do. he provides freedom for that. Our circumstances are not our armor. Jesus is. And then you can respond to suffering with humility and confidence. When you have an opportunity to share your faith, you don't have to attack or hide because your reputation isn't your armor. Jesus is. Then you're able to share with humility and confidence. So let me ask you this morning as I close, where do you need to do spiritual warfare? And I want you to begin in your own heart. Before you ever try to fight the other evil, you'll, you'll get it wrong. If you're not fighting the evil in your own heart first with the gospel. Think of whatever, any sign of bitterness, any sign of hopelessness. Maybe anger or you're worried. Maybe people try to tell you about it but you haven't haven't listened yet? Anything coming to mind? 
So Holy Spirit, diagnosing you lovingly. And he wants you to ask, what is it that you're looking to for, for your armor besides Jesus? He wants you to know it doesn't work. So now take up the armor of God. You already have it. Remember who you are in him. Nothing can change it. You are his son. You are his daughter in whom he is well pleased. Nothing can change that. Put on the armor of God before the evil day is upon you, before the hands of evil are around your throat. The evil day is coming, and you need to be prepared. Don't wait till it's too late, church. Do it now. Jesus has given you his victory. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me?